Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Fangirls Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julie. And we are so excited to dish and spill the tea with you today. How are you this week? I'm good. This weekend, very relaxing. Yeah, because you have a new job that's really cool. I do have a new job that's really cool. (laughs) And the people are really nice, so that's important. They're super nice and uh, very pet friendly. My dogs are very happy. (laughs) Happy, have good perks, good food. All the perks. (laughs) That's so fun. We got our Christmas tree this weekend, finally. And so we got to decorate that. I'm just hoping that I can make it not get brittle within the next few days. I'm like looking up all the tips and tricks. Cause usually we have our fake tree, but we had our fake tree for like 10 years. And it finally just was like, goodbye this earth. I'm ready to die. It just, <laughs> the lights stopped working. Things are falling off. You know, it had a really good run. I love so, how you got me my tree before you got your own tree. <laughs> well, you know, you're special. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm the favorite. <laughs> yeah. You're the favorite. So hopefully we can keep it alive. I was looking for a Fraser fur because, you know, Outlander love that. That's cute. (laughs) But I think it was just like a noble fur or something like that, which is close. Noble is good. We'll pretend it's a Fraser fur. Okay. So since the last time we recorded, we have seen and done a few things. Yes. Super exciting stuff. Yeah. You went to LA comic-con and I I went to New York city. So tell me about comic-con. It was the most affordable comic-con in the history of cons. I mean, such a solid investment. When I initially bought the ticket, they had stronger COVID guidelines in play. Mm -hmm. So 45 bucks, it was four hours. That way they could break it up into a morning session and evening session. I don't know if it was the city of LA or the fire marshal or whatever the case may be, but they lifted the restrictions and you got the whole day for that $45. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first Comic-Con. There was a lot of great cosplay. I wish I could say I was this super awesome cosplayer. I am not. I am a spectator in this sport. I went with my friend, Melinda, who's also great at cosplay. She went as a Loki variant. Love it. Had the (laughs) cutest little Loki horns. I went as Dr. Darcy Lewis from Thor and or WandaVision. Okay. I saw that picture of you and you looked freaking adorable. Thank you. Adorable. So cute. I just created my own little sword badge that had the name Dr. Darcy Lewis. Cute. Yeah. Not thinking that I would get compliments in any of this. I got so many compliments that just came out of left field because you looked cute. You looked so cute in that picture. I was like, dang girl, she brought her a game. You really did. You know, for understated cosplay, it's like, yeah, you're not in like Thor's costume or something, which is like obvious. We're in, you know, an important character. And it was fun. It was so much fun. And there were amazing cosplay throughout the whole con in itself. I mean, people brought their own props and everything. And I respect it as the art that it is. What was your favorite cosplay that you saw? You know what? There was some scandalous cosplay. Okay, that I really me. have to <laughs> give a shout out to. It was like the scandalous Princess Leia, like oh, nice. next to nothing. And I was like, she's not worried about COVID because first and foremost, they were carting people left and right. 
you could not come in without your vaccination card. So I felt very safe and everything was up to snuff when it comes to COVID protocol. So she was not worried about getting COVID. Pneumonia was top of my mind because I was like, <laughs> it is almost winter. So you're that talking like so Princess bold. Leia, Jabba the Hutt's, you know, plaything outfit that, yeah, that Princess Leia. Yeah. Okay. Like bikini top, barely anything from the waist down, almost everything was on display. And I was like, kudos to you, my friend. <laughs> well, you got to love the commitment to the fandom, right? Like, right. You just got to love it. Like that's how I am with Bridgerton or like Outlander. Luckily, there's a lot more clothing involved in there that, is. which I'm thankful for. I'm like, right. I choose fandoms where there's layers and layers of clothing. <laughs> a lot of the cosplayers who were very dedicated, very dedicated. We saw our friends at the Pizza Planet truck. Marco. Yeah. Saw Marco. It was great. Caught up with them. A few other old cast member friends. They had a few other good car, like Hollywood cars there. So they had the Ecto one. I saw that because Marco posted a video of all the cars and he, yeah, he did like this little you know, kind of play by play of what happened at Comic-Con was really cool. Yeah. So the cars section was really cool. They had an amazing amount of vendors and fandom-based businesses to support the con itself, which I was very impressed with. We Uh, need to be one of those businesses there. Right. We need to go there. We need to have a table. Exactly. Watch the SpongeBob panel. Tom Kenny and Roger Bumpus, the voices of SpongeBob and Squidward were hilarious. His name is Roger Bumpus. Yep. Is that Squidward? That's Squidward. (laughs) Roger Bumpus. That could that be a more perfect person? person's name to play to yeah. play Squidward. It was perfect. And they didn't miss a beat. They were very much on top of their game. And it was very interesting to hear their backstory on how they became Squidward and SpongeBob. The main floor was dedicated to the vendors and the main stage panel. And then they had a hall that was dedicated to photo ops. So if you had higher grade entry pass, I did not. I had the general admission. Mm-hmm. There was a hall just rows and rows and rows of lines to get signatures from X amount of celebrities from all the, all the fandoms pretty much. So Dan Fogler was there giving autographs, Michelle Nichols from Star Trek, uh, a whole bunch galore. I opted out of that because I wanted to see as much as I could in X amount of time. Yeah. Cheers to all the celebs who took time out of their day to be dedicated to the fans and give those photo ops. And then there was a, another hall that was solely dedicated to gaming and voiceover actors. Oh, fun. That was fun. I do have to say the thing that I was most impressed with that I had zero expectations for, this was just something that Melinda really wanted to see. Do you know who Zachary Levi is? Yeah. Shazam. Shazam. Exactly. He was also a really tall drink of Jewish water in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He got engaged <laughs> to Maisel and I was oh. like, why would you leave him? He's so gorgeous. Anyway, moving know. on. I don't know. Vaguely remember watching Shazam. I knew him as Flynn Rider. There were a ton of Chuck fans and I never watched Chuck. Oh yeah. I didn't either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He just made the most of his time in this half an hour panel. I don't think we could cover that much time, that much ground in that half hour. He answered so many questions from the fans. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. A good portion of the questions too came from the deaf and or hard of hearing community. Mm -hmm. The Comic-Con itself was very generous with the ASL community and made sure that the main stage always had an interpreter on the stage to answer any questions for the hard of hearing and or deaf community. Mm -hmm. And he made such a good point to give the deaf and or hard of hearing community the attention they needed for these questions. And yeah, great equal questions. amount of time. Yeah, yeah he, he was very generous with his time. I feel like he has such a dynamic personality in interviews. Was he like that on stage? Like, Oh, he more? was a total ham. Love it. I had zero expectations. I was like, yeah, you want to go see Zachary Levi? Sounds great. And I was blown away by him. He briefly hyped up Shazam. He chatted about his new movie coming out, American Underdog. 
which mm-hmm. comes out the on Christmas. Movie. Yeah. yeah, with Kurt Warner. And I was just like, sounds good. I might go see that. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, he goes into, does this brief PSA on mental health. Aww. Like he was just like, raise your hand if you have anxiety, raise your hand if you suffer from depression. And he, not knowing this, is the ambassador for the nonprofit Active Minds. Oh, I love that. Right? Which focuses on mental health awareness and education for for the youths. I feel like it's so huge when a celebrity that people look up to, especially Mm -hmm. kids, are saying like, hey, this is okay and this is normal and it makes them feel less alone. So kudos to him. Yeah, I was so impressed and I didn't know I had brownie points to give out that day, but he got all of them. He got all the brownie points. He got all the brownie points. So cheers to Zachary Levi. Awesome. How was New York City? Oh, man. I know you've heard so much about this before, but that's fine. I want to hear all about it. We spent about four days in New York, three full days, and then the other two on either end of those three days were about like half days there. This trip was kind of like, I wanted to take Lena, my 17-year-old, and kind of make it Christmas present, an early birthday present to myself, and just enjoy all New York has to offer in December, you know, when it's decorated for Christmas. Did so many fun things, and I really have to thank my travel-savvy friend, Danny, our friend Danny, yes, for going with us and guiding us through the city. However, after a few hours in the city, Lena was like a full-on New Yorker. She was hailing cabs. She was walking at like a native New Yorker speed. And like a lot of times, there's the crosswalks, and it'll be red but it's a one way and no one's coming. She's like, it's okay, guys, come on, let's go. And she would know when to walk. Who are you? And then her outfits were like on point every day. We were just like following her and her glorious hair around the city the whole time. (laughs) But it was so fun. And we kind of, we planned our trip to have one main activity per day and then leave the rest of the day open to explore. So day one, we shopped in Soho in the morning. We went to the Harry Potter store and we went to Goriana in New York City. And then we we saw Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway night. And then day two, we had a tea time reservation at the Palm Court in the Plaza Hotel. So we walked around Central Park before we had tea. And then we went to the Rockefeller Center after we had tea and like saw the Christmas tree. And I went to FAO Schwartz and like got some stuff for the kids. And then day three, we took a ferry to the Statue of Liberty and then over to Ellis Island. And that was the first half of the day. And then we went to dinner in Little Italy that night. So I feel like we just got like such a good, like broad spectrum of what New York has. And, you know, there was a lot that we didn't do, but I feel like we saw so many good parts of the city and overall it was a perfect trip. So many amazing memories. I cannot wait to travel again. I totally have the travel bug. Lena has the travel bug. (laughs) Like we're going to Scotland. We're going to England. We're never coming back. (laughs) It just, it was just such a good trip. I think there's something about travel that just brings you out of yourself. And then you kind of find these other parts of yourself. And and with New York, you're always looking up because there's all these huge buildings. There's all these things to see. And there's something about that looking up that just makes you feel the sense of wonderment. And you're like just dreaming and feeling positive because you're just constantly looking up. Or at least that's how it felt for me. But I'm a writer. So I always, you know, think these weird dreamy things about things or describing cobblestone as I'm walking. Like, how could I describe? that in the book. It's like, okay, Lauren, calm down. <laughs> Such a good trip. Favorite food that you had oh, throughout man. New York. <laughs> we ate a lot of pasta. I think my favorite pasta that I had was the first night we were there. I ordered the clam pasta with like fettuccine. Okay. I love pasta with clam sauce. It was heavenly. And and then there was, we just kept going to Italian food, like almost every night. There was one uh-huh. night we got sushi, but everything, okay. every other night was Italian. There was this 
garlic bread that had, I don't know, gorgonzola. I don't really remember. It was like, if heaven was in a piece of bread with cheese, that is what I ate. Yes. It was so good. Uh, I will say I was back in New York in 2014 and my standards for pizza, cheesecake, and hot dogs are through the roof. New York's just set the bar. We went to a, a kosher bakery and got bagels one morning. Ah, the yes. bagels were ridiculous. They were so good. We actually got bagels on two different mornings. I mean, funnily enough, we didn't even end up getting pizza because Lena, did you know Lena doesn't like pizza? That's sacrilegious. It's the weird, it, it is. It's the weirdest thing. I can't. So we didn't get any pizza, but what was funny is on our way home, our Uber driver, he mm-hmm. ha- ended up being like a New York native. And he's like, oh, Patsy's is the place to go. Cause we asked him like, where would you go? Where would you send people? And he's like, Patsy's. And then we were telling him about the bakery that we went to. He's like, oh, the on Lexington. We're like, yeah. He's like, I love that place. I tell people about that place all the time. I'm like, yes. So we went to like the right <laughs> We went to the right bagel place. It's called like S a bagels, like E S S and then dash a bagels. It's so good. And then there was this one night where we were eating black and white cookies in bed, me and Danny mm-hmm. and Lena, do you know the black and whites? Oh yeah. And for whatever reason, I don't know if we were tired, we got the giggles and we we're being so weird. We we're like crying, laughing, eating these cookies. And we're like, what is, what are in these? cookies, but they were amazing. So overall amazing trip. Yay. Got to see our first Broadway show, the cursed child. Was it as much as a religious experience for you as it was for me? Oh, it was a holy experience. Yes. Yes. It was so good. So here's the part of the show where we spill the tea today. We are spilling the tea on the Broadway play, Harry Potter and the cursed child. If you haven't seen this play, we're going to spoil it. So Harry Potter and the cursed child, the Broadway cast includes Harry Potter, played by James Snyder. Albus Potter, played by James Romney. Scorpius Malfoy is played by Brady Dalton Richards. Hermione Granger is played by Jenny Jules. Ron Weasley is played by David Abels. Draco Malfoy is played by Aaron Bartz. Rose Granger Weasley is played by Nadia Brown. Ginny Potter is played by Diane Davis. So you've seen this. This was my very first Broadway show. And it was Lena's very first Broadway show. I was completely blown away from the set design to the costumes, to the incredible acting. I was fully immersed from start to finish. It was a magical experience, like just dressing up and then walking down to Broadway and then being mesmerized by the show. And then the standing ovation, it was like a perfect Broadway experience. And this play was held at the Lyric Theater in New York and the theater had been completely redesigned for the play. So from ceiling to floor, the theater was decked out in Harry Potter theming. Like I'm talking wallpaper, I'm talking carpet patterns, I'm talking sconces on the walls. Everything was themed to this play. Okay. Wow. And and there's like a reason for that, which probably happened in the version that you saw in London, but there's a part at the end where, where Voldemort is there And then there's all this black light writing over the whole theater at one point. And you're like, what? Which was amazing. What they did with lighting was incredible. It was magical. I was so blown away by what they did with the time turner scenes. With the shaking, the lights that made it seem like the whole room was shaking. Yes. It felt like you were traveling through time Mm -hmm. as, as you would expect through the movies. That was the experience I felt I received when watching it. 
yeah, Lena, Danny, and I were like, how did they do that? Right. You know, we're like, what? it was amazing. The special effects team needs a Tony award just for that. 100%. Just for and, the special effects. And even like when they're moving the props out of the way, all the, like the wizards like dressed in their capes and then they're moving the suitcases around or when they would take a prop out and they'd like kind of whip their, their robe around and then take it away. Everything just down to the, the smallest detail was, it was so precise and so well done. Although I have to say, I was a little bummed seeing the play that I had already read the screenplay and I knew it was coming because the element of surprise would have just added to the experience like, okay. for sure. Lena and Danny, they hadn't read the screenplay and they kept going, <gasps> And I was like, dang, I wish that I would have had that. But I mean, it still was an amazing experience in the screenplay. I have to say like Scorpius comes off a little bit like flat, not really like a vivacious character at all, but Brady Dalton Richards was incredible. He was fantastic. He brought this character to life, breathed that life into that character that was supposed to be there. You know, he was funny, quirky, smart, and lovable. He was the star of the show in that play. Like, I don't know who played him in London, but he was, I remember, he was the highlight of the show. Yes. Scorpius's comedic timing was incredibly on point. I don't remember laughing at Scorpius at nearly as much as I was reading the screenplay versus watching him on stage. Yeah. I was laughing hysterically and Mind you, I saw it in London by myself and mm -hmm. I had others sitting next to me also laughing. I was like, oh, wow, you're right. This did fall flat in the book versus on stage. Yeah, because you kind of get a sense of like who Albus Potter is. He's kind of mm -hmm. just like, oh, my dad is Harry Potter. And he's like whining all the time. And he does that in the play. And he's like very angsty. And it comes across in the screenplay. Just the dynamic, like funny personality of who Scorpius is does not read in the screenplay. It is solely what the actor brought to it. And mm -hmm. I'm like, how do we see him again? <laughs> I want to see right? this again. He was yes. so good. I'm such a fan of him. I loved how this play gave us some closure and some answers between Harry and Dumbledore and Dumbledore telling Harry through the portrait, of course, mm -hmm. that he loved him like a son. However, Dumbledore said that he'd never had a son. Albeit it was Dumbledore in the form of a portrait, which it was said repeatedly that a person in a portrait is just paint and memory. So at first it made me think that our theory about who Dumbledore's son is may not be true, but, and this is a big, but mm -hmm. if Harry has no memory of Dumbledore talking about having a son, then of course his memory of him would confirm this possible like untruth, right? Or it, I have a whole I don't know. theory on this. Tell me it. Tell me okay. it. this play takes place 20 years after the battle of Hogwarts. And the focus of it is on Harry's son, Albus. And you see him as the black sheep of the family. He's sorted into Slytherin house. The kids at school refer to him as the Potter squib. He befriends a Malfoy in all of this. He messes with time. It's, it's a lot of chaos and it's not your traditional Harry Potter canon that everybody wants wanted. Yeah. And it feels very different. It is. Although JK Rowling has gone on record to say that this is in fact canon. This is, this isn't fan fiction. This is true to original Harry Potter storylines. And while it takes place 20 years ahead of time, she made it more forward thinking in that respect. This play got a lot of criticism. Uh, not everybody was on board with the casting of Hermione. Do you remember that? Oh, because she's black? Yeah. And it was so dumb and narrow-minded. And she very vividly said, like, I never said Hermione couldn't be black. I chose the best person for the job. That's where... 
yeah. you know, casting went. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but not sorry. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. And after watching this play in general, you realize nothing is off the table at all. Right. Getting back to the argument of or Dumbledore's portrait being just paint and memories. The memory charm is a reoccurring theme throughout the Harry Potter series. So just because Dumbledore said, I never had a son, it doesn't mean he never had that memory. We've seen Obliviate used multiple times throughout the whole series. We've used- when he's saying paint and memory, is this Harry's memories? Because I took it as like what Harry remembers of Dumbledore. So if Dumbledore never told him that he had a son, Harry this memory of Dumbledore would be like, I never had a son because he never told him. So that could be a really simple fix because I don't know if it's really like Dumbledore's essence. I think it's the memories of the person is interacting with the portrait, right? Okay. Okay. Well, Harry didn't know Dumbledore in his forties. Right. So So he wouldn't know any of that. Exactly. Doesn't mean that the memory, well, my argument is we've seen so much usage of memory charms throughout the whole Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. For all we know, he could have asked Newt to get rid of the memory or alter it. Yeah. So if you guys haven't listened to our Harry Potter theories, yes, (laughs) part one and two, there's episodes where we go into who we think Albus Dumbledore's son is. So we'll put the link in the show notes for you guys to listen to that as you were, Julie. Yes. Yeah. I just don't buy that. That memory doesn't exist. I think it was altered. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it firsthand through Slughorn's psyche of how a memory is altered. Right. We've seen Hermione alter her parents' memory so that she never existed in their subconscious. Yeah. I think because Harry's interacting with the portrait, it's Mm -hmm. his, it's Harry's memories, right? That's making the conversation happen. I think that's a great take on it is I think it's open to interpretation. And I think that's a great take, but knowing that when we reviewed how many times the imperious curse and polyjuice potion and love potions were used throughout the whole Harry Potter series, we didn't catch how many times obliviate was used as a reoccurring theme throughout mm-hmm. the series. Yeah. And that was referenced on the fandom app. 21 to 25 different times. So I think memory charms fall in line with reoccurring themes. We saw it in Chamber of Secrets with Gilderoy Lockhart. And on top of that, we saw the consequences of how bad memory charms can react when not used correctly. Gilderoy, um, Gilderoy Lockhart had brain damage. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And in the Fantastic Beast series, Newt tried to erase Jacob's memory twice, but he was too quick on the first round at the bank when he, where we think Jacob is a nomad Mm -hmm. and he gets away too quick. So Newt doesn't get a chance to erase his memory on what he saw at the bank. And then when it rains, that memory charm that at the end of the first Fantastic Beast movie, when it rains and it's supposed to cast the Obliviate spell on all of New York City. Mm-hmm. Jacob was included in that. It didn't work on him. So that was the second time it was referenced in Fantastic Beasts. So I'm thinking we're going to see in the rest of the Fantastic Beast series, more or less, Dumbledore ask Newt to alter his memory because think about it. What's worse than losing a child? Having the memory of it. And so, while that, yeah. And you had said this before that perhaps Albus, perhaps Dumbledore wanted his memory erased so he didn't have to deal with losing another person that he loved. Right. And it's a fresh memory. So it's not deep seated in your subconscious like it was to Ariana, where it's that emotional attachment. He didn't raise credence. So the emotional attachment isn't nearly as strong. So I think it would be an easier memory to alter. But then 
for some reason that just doesn't really the character like who Dumbledore is I don't think he would shrink away from that because he's not a coward running away from grief in any form you can't and to get this quick fix like it just seems like a cowardly thing to do you know and um, perhaps that's what led Dumbledore to he didn't get close to Harry and it says that in the plays because I Mm -hmm. lose people that I love I always ruin the things that I love kind of kept him at arm's length because of these memories of people that he has lost or pushed away or, or whatever it is. So he could have had his memory altered, but I just, you'd think that if that was a habit of his, he would have made himself forget Grindelwald or had somebody obliviate him there. So, or just alter the memory slightly. I don't know. I can't see him doing that. He's so he's, I don't think he did it. I think he asked Newt to do it or Newt right. did it willingly. Who knows? I don't know. But- I can't, I just can't see him asking that. Or maybe he did ask in a moment of weakness and Newt's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, because a Hufflepuff is just like, he's going to do what's right. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening, but I have a feeling that in some way or another, the memory was altered of him having the son to make so. this scene in the play happen. Yeah. Whether it's the scene in the play that happened, it's never mentioned in throughout the whole Harry Potter series. Right. I don't think that Dumbledore's memories are in the portrait. I think it's Harry's memories of Dumbledore as he's interacting with it. Now, had it been Newt interacting with the portrait, he might've had a whole different experience and he might've been able to talk about it because because it's the memories of the person viewing the portrait and not the person in the portrait's memories. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. I would love for JK Rowling to do a whole like essay on this. And right. I need this TED talk, (laughs) but I, I think it's like, it's not the person in the portrait's memories. It's a person viewing the portraits, memories of them. Because I mean, Harry's always needed validation from some kind of parent that he's loved. He's right. never gotten that. He's seen visions from his own mind in the mirror mm-hmm. of Erised. And, you know, finally Dumbledore's telling him in a portrait, but he's never gotten that and he wants it so badly. So of course his memories and his feelings are going to tell him that, especially when he's having a hard time with his own child. Right. So Okay, Voldemort walking into the crowd was super creepy. However, I thought it was a bit of a plot hole to show him as we know him in the latter books in the Harry Potter series. He would not have looked like that prior because this is back in time to the killing curse that was meant for Harry backfiring on him. He would have looked like a regular person, but he looked, they showed him as he looked, you know, after, you know, after Goblet of Fire at the very end where it's like, he's getting his human form again. And he has like the weird slit nose and Mm -hmm. white face. And he's kind of, it's taken a lot of dark magic to get him into a body. But this was before that happened. You know, when they go back to like 1981 or whenever it is during Christmas, but they show him as we know him. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, that's a bit of a plot hole. And maybe they did that for viewers. So they would associate it as Voldemort, but like, don't dumb it down for us us true fans will understand that this is Voldemort, right? Right. I don't know. That's one thing that I wish would kind of be different. Like, what did he look like? Was he handsome and cunning? How did he get these people to follow him? Yes, he was ruthless and smart, but you know, Tom Riddle wasn't like a bad looking kid. Yeah. I've always heard that Tom Riddle had not just the way with words, but he was easy on the eyes too. Yeah. And he definitely wasn't easy on the eyes in that (laughs) sequence where he walks into the crowd. I'm like, Oh man, he's creepy. But overall the play was incredible. Standing ovation at the end just took my breath away. So I would see it again in a heartbeat. I'm waiting for it to come to LA. I I, I, I will see it again with you in LA. 
for yes, sure. Absolutely. It was worth every penny. And I don't know. I just take that experience. That is forever a memory I will cherish being in London in the West End, watching my childhood on stage. It was gorgeous. Wouldn't change yeah, that a thing. sounds dreamy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so for both of us, like what a good experience that we have seeing mm-hmm. this play. Yeah. It was, you know? it was a religious experience with our Harry Potter episodes. I just, you know, attributed it to our life's work. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah, no, it, it was perfect. And now it is time with the Fangirl Spotlight of the Week. Fangirls Podcast has an Etsy shop with a variety of original custom-made fandom-inspired artwork in digital download form. With designs inspired by Outlander, Bridgerton, Harry Potter, Marvel, and more, you are sure to find the perfect design to represent your favorite fandom. We are offering 10% off our Etsy store with the code fangirl. The link to our store and all the info will be in our show notes. Visit our website to see all that the fangirls are up to. Look out for a new blog post this Friday of the fangirls favorite things Christmas edit. We put together a fun fandom inspired gift guide for Christmas. The fangirls podcast is brought to you by Believe Podcast Network and we want to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so that we can reach more people. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear all of our latest episodes. We love hearing from our listeners, so follow us on Instagram at the Fangirls Podcast and Twitter at the underscore fan underscore girls and like our community page on Facebook to join the conversation. See you next time. See you next time. We here at the Fangirls Podcast are not affiliated with the following. The City of Los Angeles, LA Comic-Con, Los Angeles Convention Center, The Cursed Child U.S. Production, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.